Well, good morning, Redeemer Church of Dubai. I trust you had a great week. As you all know, we've been studying the letters written to the seven churches that are found in Revelations 2 and 3. Today, we are going to look at the longest letter written by John on behalf of Jesus in chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. We've already heard Jesus speak to the churches of Ephesus, um, Smyrna, and Pergamum. And now we are going to hear him speak to the church of Thyatira or Thyatira or Thyatira. However you want to call it, you can call it Thyatira. I'm going to call it that way. So this is found in, the letter is found in Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 to 29. If the Christians at Ephesus were tempted to forsake their first love and the Christians at Smyrna were afflicted by persecution, and those at Pergamum had to suffer afflictions and were tempted by false teachers, the Christians at Thyatira were tempted to compromise their faith for economic success. As you already know by now, that every letter begins with a self-introduction by Jesus, and this is exactly what he does in this letter. So if you look at verse 18, in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, you will find the first point to our sermon, Jesus' self-introduction. This is in verse 18. So Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God. And this meant that he was the promised Messiah, the King. Well, we also know that the Jews understood this term to mean that he was God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And that is why Jesus possesses the glory he does in chapter 1. In John, John heard and he saw Jesus in chapter 1. The weight of Jesus' glory. It was so intense that John fell at his feet as though he was dead. Zapped of all the strength that he had. And so friends, I want to encourage you if you have time, when you have time, sorry. Go to chapter 1. Read through this chapter and meditate on the majesty, the weight of Jesus' knowledge and might and holiness. The reason, the reason the churches should listen to Jesus is because the one who speaks is God. And these churches, they belong to God by his work. He purchased the church by his own blood. They are dear and precious to him. There is treasured possession. Oh, how Jesus loves his church. And my hope is that we will see this morning as we go through this letter, how dearly Jesus loves his church. Look at verse 18 again. Jesus is also the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The picture of the eyes is to help the church understand that nothing is hidden from him. His, his eyes have a penetrating vision in that he sees through, you know, like the, like the x-ray like machine or the vision you have from the x-ray machine. He can see the inside stuff, the spiritual things, what's going on inside our heart, the motives, the thoughts, what all questions we have, everything that's going on in our hearts, our pretenses. He knows his church like no one else does. And so he can say with confidence and with boldness, as he says in verse 23, I am he who searches minds and hearts. And we will learn that Jesus' gaze here in this letter is ultimately to heal and not to condemn. His feet are like burnished bronze. It might refer to the might of his strength. You know, back then people knew that bronze was stronger than copper. 
It might also mean purity since chapter 1 says, uses the same expression, but with an addition. It says, burnished bronze as it is fired in a furnace. This is bronze when it is hot in the fire. And in the intense fire of the furnace, it glows. Such kind of, of, of bronze will instantly, instantly turn to ashes anything it touches. The image shows that when Jesus comes with all his might to consume his enemies, they will not be able to resist him. This too, we shall see in this letter. So that's verse 18 for us, Jesus' self-introduction. But Jesus begins by commending this church. That's in verse 19. He commends them for their works, their love, their faith, service, and patient endurance. Jesus could see their works produced by faith. He knew of the outworkings, the actions that give evidence to their faith. You could see it in the love they had for one another, how they moved to others for their good, giving, giving their time and their energy. And this is explained by the word service. That word is translated relief in Acts 11 and verse 29. The, the believers at Antioch had taken an active decision to help and bring relief to those who were in need. And the church at Thyatira loved to help and give freely as they had received from Jesus. Well, friends, this was genuine love because it was an overflow of their faith. They really trusted God as they served others. And Jesus knew that. Well, friends, did you notice the Christian triad here? Faith, love, and hope. Well, that's what patient endurance means. They endured the adversities. These guys had a tough time. They were afflicted. They endured the adversities that came their way because their hope was in a future that was owned by Jesus. This, this hope of being with Jesus produced patient, hopeful endurance. They endured because of hope. And in his conclusion, Jesus says, He knew they were mature. Your latter works exceed the first. They had progressed from where they were. The one who is in the midst of the church, at work in the church, knew how much they had grown. And this is so comforting that Jesus knows. Jesus is, is just pleased as he sees their maturity. Such words would have given great comfort to the church at Thyatira. I know. I know. Well, brothers and sisters, Redeemer Church of Dubai, would this be the commendation that we would receive from Jesus? Would Jesus look at Redeemer Church of Dubai and say, I know of your works and your love and, and your faith and your service and patient endurance and your latter works exceed the first? Would Jesus say that about our church? I praise God for the ways he has matured us this season. Jesus, Jesus knows what's happening now in our church. Jesus knows when some of our friends call others and say, can I buy you some food, please? Can I pray with you, please? Jesus knows when we weep with the hurting. Now, 
Jesus knows when we take our phone and say, I want to read the Bible with you. Jesus knows when we share the gospel with others. Jesus knows us husbands when we serve our wives faithfully and humbly and patiently. Jesus knows you wives when you serve your husbands gently and with grace. Jesus knows you children when you serve your parents as an outworking of your faith. Jesus knows the joy that you have when you reach out to others and you, you, you want to ensure that no one is overlooked this season. Jesus knows. I think of the staff of the Redeemer Church of Dubai as they think and as they plan and they work hard and look for ways to make sure no one in our church is overlooked and that they're cared for, brothers and sisters, Jesus knows. So I want to encourage you to continue serving because Jesus knows. He knows. As a loving husband does, Jesus commends his bride. And then we come to the correction. As soon as he finishes commendation of the church in verses 20 to 23, we come to the third point of our sermon, Jesus corrects his church. This is Jesus' correction to his church. Because Jesus loves his church, he must address what concerns him deeply. Isn't this how the physician talks? He examines us physically and tells us that our blood pressure and cholesterol levels are great. And then he comes back to us and says, you are doing good, but, but there is a growth that I see. The good, the good physician will seek your good and will recommend that and will recommend you to the surgeon to cut out what can destroy the whole of your life, no matter how wonderful other aspects of your body are. Jesus does the same. He sees the maturity. But I have this against you. What is it that he has against this church? You see that in verse 20, that you tolerate. It is what you tolerate and who you tolerate that upsets Jesus. They tolerated a woman named Jezebel. Well, Jezebel is used here as a symbolic name, just as Balaam and Balak were used in the previous letter. These Old Testament events had a similarity with what was going on now. And Jesus uses these Old Testament events to help the church understand the significance of what was going on. Well, who was Jezebel? Jezebel was a pagan woman whom Ahab, the king of Israel, had married. She incited and persuaded Ahab to introduce idol worship in Israel. By her influence, the nation of Israel had given into idol worship and sexual immorality. And you find this in 1 Kings 6, 16 to 19 and 2 Kings 9. She brought trouble to the nation by substituting God with idols. Something that God hated. She was a powerful woman and she was aggressive. People were scared of her because she could kill anyone. She was so stubborn that even when she came close to death, when death was in front of her, she wanted to seduce the king back then, Jehu. She wanted to sin at the face of death. And the Bible presents her as a despicable woman. She is evil personified. 
There was a woman of this kind in the church at Thyatira. And what do we know about her? Jesus says she claimed to be a prophetess. A prophet was someone who spoke on behalf of God. By, by claiming to be a prophetess, she claimed to be a mouthpiece of God, that God was speaking through her. Well, verse 20 also tells us that she kept teaching. Well, friends, notice the tense here. She was teaching, like doing that right now when the letter was written. We don't know the content of her teaching, but we know the fruit of her teaching. It was sin. Her teachings produced more sin. Sexual immorality and food offered to idols, both spiritual and physical adultery. So obviously she was a false prophet because she, was, because she encouraged sin. Well, friends, be careful of the teacher whose teachings produce more sin. What Jesus also tells us that she was seductive in her teaching. This is the same word used in the same book for Satan in Revelation 12 and verse 9. There, there it is translated as deceptive. Satan is the deceiver, a liar and the father of lies. And Jezebel possesses the same quality. She was his representative and she was in the church. Well, friends, Satan had his ambassador in the church of God and she succeeded in her efforts to draw people away from God. Well, I think it is important for us to understand the context of this letter so that we at least have some clue to what she was trying to do. Now, Thyatira, Thyatira was a, a manufacturing center for dyes, and textile, pottery, and metalwork. If you remember Lydia, whom Paul had met in Philippi during his second missionary journey, she was from this city. This city was also known for trade unions. There was a union for every trade, and in order for you to succeed in your trade, you had to join a union. Every union had its own deity and festival. Membership in these unions put Christians in a compromising situation. And when the unions met, which was regularly, they would celebrate the blessings of a pagan god and, and seek his favor for their trade. So perhaps the priest or the leader of, 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 of the union or you know, the chairman of the union would stand up and would, would, would tell people, we have all gathered together before our provider and our keeper, our great god Apollo. What a joy, friends, to meet together as a company of people whom our great god Apollos has blessed to more blessings. Cheers. Let us eat, drink, and be happy. That's something that would have possibly happened there during the trade union meetings. Well, friends, this was not a party time, but worship time. Worship of a pagan god that ended in having communion with the pagan god through sex. This was a demonic place that facilitated demonic activities. Now, not being part of the union meant economic loss. For Christians, lack of success and even being ostracized. Jezebel comes to the church and pretends to be a prophetess. People listen to her. 
what she does is she twists the gospel and made it compelling for the people to agree with her. Maybe she would have said, God is speaking to me. And God wants me to tell you that he wants to see you prosper. God does not want you to suffer. Well, friends, this is a, this is joining the union is a God-given means in front of you. Don't miss it. God is speaking through me. Or maybe she would have said, well, what is wrong with a get-together? This is, this, you know, we just, we're just going to get together and sing some Bhangra songs um, and dance to some music and drink some Mountain Dew. And then there is KFC out there. I don't know, butter chicken or maybe Tom Yang soup or beef steak. Well, it's just food, dance and, and some songs. You need these people. You need these people to help you, don't you? She would have asked them. And maybe someone would have responded, but but there, I've heard that there is sin out there. And she would have responded, stop being a legalist. Isn't God a God of love? God is love. God's love covers a multitude of sin. Who knows? Besides, who knows? You could win some of them to Christ. I mean, think of the opportunity right now if you can join this union. Well, friends, she was inviting these people to the temple of demons. The church tolerated this woman. Instead of removing her from the church, they tolerated her. And this led to more sin. This kind of tolerance does not heal, but destroys. You've got a snake in the house and tolerance is not going to save you. There is a deceiver in the church of God who misrepresents God with a false gospel. And she has corrupted the church, much like Jezebel corrupted Israel. Maybe, maybe she was too powerful of a person. And that is perhaps the reason why she was addressed as Jezebel. Jesus would not tolerate her. The king with feet like burnished bronze will himself end her work. And that's what he says in verses 21, 22, and 23. You see, Jesus gave her time to repent. Do you see the kindness of Jesus here? This is what Peter says too. God is patient with you, meaning he gives you time, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus gave her time to repent, not to sin, but she did not want to repent. If you remember last week, Pastor Eric taught us that repentance involves three things. There's this acknowledgement that you have violated God's standard. You confess your sins. You own it. This is in your heart. This is something that you have done. And then you turn to God. There's a turning from sin and a turning to God. That's what repentance is. I think this letter teaches us what the opposite of repentance is. And the opposite is impenitence. Jezebel teaches us what impenitence is all about. And this passage teaches us four marks of an impenitent heart. Let me share these with you. Number one, a disregard for truth. She hated the truth because her father was the father of lies. The more she heard the truth, the more she disregarded it. She, she continued to teach lies. 
You see, it isn't that she did not know the truth. She knew the truth, but she was unwilling to accept it as truth. She hated it. An impenitent heart does not have any regard for gospel truths. So that's number one, disregard for truth. Number two, disregard for Jesus. You see, the reason Jesus was going to judge her was because of her response to him. She was stubborn. Her, her refusal to repent is an insult to Jesus because that is her way of saying that she hates Jesus. And please understand the significance of what she's trying to communicate. Jesus is the bread of life. When you eat of Jesus, when you come to Jesus and feast on him and you tell Jesus that, you, that Jesus does not taste good, that is an insult to Jesus. When you taste the water of his word and you tell Jesus that sin tastes better, that is an insult to Jesus. Jezebel did exactly that. Her stubbornness was, was, you know, stubbornness also meant that Jesus did not matter to her. She didn't care who Jesus was. She was comfortable being an enemy of Jesus. That is an impenitent heart. And this is why, brothers and sisters, we, we encourage our members to fight sin and turn from sin. Your, your liking for sin shows that you've begun to have a dislike for Jesus. That is not a good place to be in. So number one, a disregard for truth. Number two, a disregard for Jesus. And number three, a disregard for others. Did you see that she, what she wanted for others? She, she desired their destruction. She invited them to the temple of demons. An impenitent heart does not care about how their sins affect others. Her deceptive teaching caused people to sin. She was happy to see people from the church at the feast. She got them there for their own destruction. Therefore, an impenitent heart is an unloving heart. So you have a disregard for truth, a disregard for Jesus, a disregard for others. And finally, an impenitent heart as a high view for self. A high view of self. This this disregard stems from a high view of one's own self. She thought Jesus was wrong and she was right. No one could question her. So she would not listen even if someone tried talking to her. She did not want to respond to Jesus because she didn't feel accountable to Jesus. An impenitent heart thinks that there is no one greater than them. Impenitent people are proud people. They are not teachable. Well, friends, it is possible that some of you have been coming to our church for a long time, or you would have been listening to our online videos, listening to our sermons, attending some of our classes, even our classes on Philippians, and yet you are living in sin, and you're burdened by it. I want to ask you to turn to Jesus from your sin. Let me tell you that sin seeks your destruction. Jesus seeks your good. Sin will kill you, but Jesus will give you life. Sin will lie to you. Jesus tells you the truth. Sin will bring you burden, but Jesus will give you true rest. 
Well, true rest is found in Jesus because he took our greatest burden to the cross for us. He took the judgment that we deserve so that we can receive forgiveness from God and find true rest in him. Please turn to Jesus from your sin. Do you remember Jesus' self-introduction? At the beginning, that when he comes in might, which is might, to judge, no one can resist. You see that here in verse 22. He will throw Jezebel onto a bed of pain. Jesus will keep her still. He will keep her outside the church. Jesus also says that he will strike her children dead. That's in verse 23. Her children were her agents, those who assisted her and wanted to see her work flourish. But Jesus says their evil work will end with their death. And Jesus gives time for those who joined her sinful acts to repent in the second part of verse 22. Do you, do you see the gracious heart of Jesus there? To turn from the influence of this woman to Jesus? Turn, friends. Turn from your sin to Jesus. It may be possible that some of you are now hiding in sin or hiding sin. The spirit of Jezebel says, no one will know. Come to my temple. I have, I have so many temples with so many idols. And one of them, one of the idols is called work. All you need to do is sacrifice your children and sacrifice your wife or sacrifice your husband. There are plenty of benefits out there. Come to my temple. Or another temple may be named pornography. Come and I'll give you satisfaction that no one else will. All you need to do is just hide from others. And I will give you satisfaction that Jesus can't give. But friends, if you've been listening to her, let me tell you that she is lying. Listen to Jesus. Go to Jesus for eternal pleasures. Flee from sin. Run from darkness to light. Expose darkness, friends, for the sake of your own souls. Jezebel will destroy you. Only Jesus can save you. In verse 23, Jesus says that he will exalt himself by his work and the churches will know. They will hear, they will hear about the end of this woman and her works, then the churches will know that this was the hand of Jesus and, and that Jesus and that Jesus repays everyone according to their works. Jesus is the righteous one. He's a loving husband to his bride. He will protect his bride from corruption. He will remove anyone who tries to harm his bride. Jesus is now preparing his bride. He is beautifying her. And Jesus will not tolerate anyone who tries to stain her with dirt. A sign of a loving husband is that he encourages his wife with truth. And that is what Jesus does next. And so when you come to verses 24 to 29, you see the final point of the sermon, Jesus' encouragement to the faithful. There are a few church members who have not followed Jezebel. 
It looks like Jezebel's works have burdened the people. Her demands would have exhausted them. The deep things of Satan are a burden to one's soul. They, they weigh you down. Many, many friends are the sorrows of the wicked. There is no joy even when Jezebel promises joy. But Jesus, he does not burden his bride. He gives rest to his bride. And so he encourages his bride. What is his encouragement? He says in the first part of verse 25, hold fast. Jesus encourages his church to hold their position. Hold on to Jesus. Fix your gaze on Jesus. Set your minds on Christ. Abide in Christ. Keep believing Jesus. Commune with Jesus, not demons. Receive Jesus for who he is. Trust Jesus to satisfy your spiritual hunger and your spiritual thirst. Hold fast to Jesus as he holds fast to us. And here's an example of what that looks like. This is Psalm 42. This is the psalmist saying, my enemies, they taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And that's probably the question they would have been hearing there in that city. And so the psalmist tells him, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, my Savior and my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When you struggle with guilt, remind yourself that Jesus is your righteousness. Maybe you feel condemned. Tell yourself that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. Jesus has rescued us from the curse of the law. We are freed from any condemnation. Maybe it's been a difficult life for you. And you are tempted to listen to the words of Jezebel and to go to that temple for your own prosperity. Maybe it is to sacrifice time with your family. Maybe it is to gain temporary pleasure by looking to pornography. And the pressures are hard and temptation has been hitting at you hard. Well, friends, tell yourself, set your minds, set your hope on, sorry, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to come back and you will be received by him. Cling to Christ. You conquer by holding fast to Christ. So Jesus' encouragement is to hold fast. But you see, his encouragement is strengthened by promises. Jesus is a wonderful husband. He gives strength to his bride. And here are three ways in which he gives strength. He gives three promises to encourage his bride. He says, I will come back in verse 25. It says, until I come, Jesus will come back. First Thessalonians 4 says, Jesus himself will descend. He's not going to send an agent. He's not going to send someone else. He himself is going to come. He will come for his bride. And then, and then she will be safe. No more burden. But everlasting rest and joy. No more battles with sin. No more Jezebel. Because Jesus will come back and he will take us to be with him. Cling to Jesus. But there's a second promise that Jesus gives in verses 26 and 27. He says, I will give you authority or I will give you honor. 
You know, Jesus quotes Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9 here. In Psalm 2, God prophesies or God promises that he will give the nations to his son as an inheritance. And the New Testament tells us that this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus received authority from his father. There are tons of verses out there that tells us that, including this own passage. You will find this also in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Well, friends, don't skip that expression. It's there in verse 27 of this passage. Jesus has been given authority. He received authority because he overcame sin and, and death and suffering and guilt and condemnation. And he conquered them by his work. John Piper says, Satan now is empty-handed in his ability to destroy God's people. Because Jesus has made them his own people. They are his bride. And this Jesus, friends, this Jesus, the one who has authority over everything, promises authority to his people. We will reign with him over the nations. I don't know what that means, but I do know that we all will be with Jesus and we will reign with him. That is honor. That is honor. Forever we will reign with him. Maybe, maybe you're ostracized because you have stood up for Jesus. Maybe you're rejected because you wanted to honor Jesus. Maybe your business isn't as prosperous as others because you haven't joined that union with Je which Jezebel is inviting you to join because you chose Jesus. My friends, Jesus promises an honor in eternity, for all of eternity, that we will reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will reign with him. And there's a third promise here. Jesus says, I will give you myself. That's verse 28. When you have time, go to the last chapter of Revelation, friends. This is the end of the book. This is where we are all headed, enjoying the presence of God. Jesus will sit on the throne and we will reign with him forever. Verse 16 of chapter 22, Jesus says that he is the root and offspring of David. He is the son of God. And then Jesus says that he, he is the morning star. Do you see what Jesus is saying in chapter 2 here? He says, I will give you the morning star in 20, chapter 22. He says, he is the morning star. This is, this is beautiful. Do you hear Jesus, friends? Press on. Hold fast. I'm coming. You will reign with me and I will give you myself, says Jesus. This darkness will not last. It will not. As the risen Savior and as the one who has all authority, a new day is coming and Jesus is the guarantee. He says, I will give you myself. Jesus is a zillion times more glorious than Jezebel's offer. Jesus promises himself to us. There will be a joy that we will enjoy that will have no end and that cannot be explained because Jesus will give himself. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Redeemer Church, what have we heard today? 
What has the Lord spoken to his church? Remember, church, our fight with sin and the burden that the enemy brings will all end because Jesus has said that he will come and he will take us to be with him. And he will honor us. He will make us reign with him. And he promises everlasting joys and pleasures by giving himself to us. We have a loving Savior, a merciful God, a powerful King, a faithful Redeemer. Friends, Hold fast to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we are stunned by Jesus' love for his church. He gave himself for the church and he has promised to keep us till the end. We are strengthened, O God, by the promises that one day Jesus will save us from from sin and he will give us lasting, everlasting rest. That he will give us himself. Lord, we thank you for protecting our church so far. Forgive us, forgive us for the, for the Jezebels we have listened to in our own personal lives. Would you be gracious to us and save us from sin. Take away from within us any desires that will draw us away from Jesus and prepare us, O oh God, for that day when you will give us the morning star. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.